Would you please stand with me while we read the Holy Word of God? The scripture this morning is Matthew 16, 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do we say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. You may be seated. Thank you, Lana, for reading for us. You know, one uh, tradition-ish or kind of thing that I've discovered about TBF is that every year, Pastor Brad, my predecessor, would, when it came to January, would preach on what he called the pogs of TBF. And if you're new to TBF, like I am, you need some explanation on what in the world is that? What does that mean? Uh, and so what he would do is talk about the purpose and the objectives and goals of the church, which is a wonderful thing. It's always good, especially January. It's a natural time when we're all thinking about the future and new beginnings to focus back in on what, what are the foundations. Um, but what I wanted to do this morning, these next couple of weeks, is really kind of back up and ask a, a further question of, well, what really is the church in general? Because if we don't know what the whole church is, if we don't even know what church is, then we really can't answer the question of what is TBF here for? What are we supposed to do? What is our goal? What is our purpose? And more than any time, I think, in the recent history, we've been very confused about what is the church. And there's been lots of discussion and arguing about what the church is over these several months with the challenges and changes that COVID has brought. Um, COVID especially has forced churches, including ours, to operate much differently than we ever have before. Like now we record things and we stream online, and we haven't done that before. And many churches are doing that. But it leads to questions of, well, why does it matter if we meet at all? Or does it matter? Should we continue to gather? Is church just a building, or can we just do everything online? It leads to all of these kinds of questions. And so this series, what we're going to do is we're going to spend three weeks, and we're just going to take a look at, well, what is the church? And we need to kind of answer this. And today, um, what we're going to do is I want to unpack how the church is an embassy. And that's really the, the title of this. There's lots of metaphors that are used throughout the Bible to describe the church. There's the body of Christ. There's it's the temple. Um, but I think the church as an embassy is one of the, the best places to start because it gives us a really good picture of what the church is. So we're going to look at three things this morning. The first thing we're going to do is we're just going to look at what an embassy is. And we're going to answer the question of, well, why does gathering matter at all? And then finally, we'll look at our application. So point number one, if you're taking notes, is that the gathered church is an embassy of the kingdom of God. So the church is an embassy of the kingdom of God. Now, there's a lot in this passage that Lana read for us, and I don't have time to, um, to unpack everything that's in here, so I'm just saying that on the front end. Um, if there's stuff you were hoping I would touch on, I'm sorry, I and mean, you can come get me afterwards and we can talk about it. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on this passage, mostly kind of on 17 through 19, 
Um, and we're just going to look at, well, what is this passage and what is Jesus saying about the church? And what does it teach us? And how, what we see is that the church is really connected with the kingdom. In 18 and 19, Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So right away what Jesus does is He connects the church and the kingdom together. That they are kind of seen as inseparable. That the church and the kingdom have to be viewed at the same place. And this is significant because this is the first place in Scripture chronologically that the word church shows up. It's the first time it happens in the Gospels. the first time that it happens. And Jesus is the one who calls it that. He's the one who names the church. And what does He do? The first time that the church is ever mentioned, He connects it to the kingdom. And so, this leads to a question of, well, you know, what is an embassy or what's the significance here? Well, an embassy is kind of like a, an outpost of a foreign nation. I was in D.C. once um, and kind of got stuck in traffic. And so, as I was sitting there going very slowly through D.C. traffic, which I do not miss and didn't really love, I just passed after embassy after embassy of all these different foreign nations, of all these different countries. Some countries I had never heard of, some that I had, and it was kind of cool to look at them all. And each of these embassies, they're unique, and they're not unique because their buildings are built differently or really cool, but because each embassy is technically not American soil, right? So an embassy is considered to be sovereign territory of that nation, even though it's located in our nation's capital. It's not American soil, it's that nation. So that the embassy of Ethiopia is not in America or not American territory, it's part of Ethiopia, and so if you're a guest and you're allowed to go inside and hang out there, you're kind of technically, legally, you're standing inside of Ethiopia, even though you're, you know, in this continent. And if an embassy is attacked, which has happened often to all sorts of embassies all over the world, that's why it's a big deal, because it's seen as an attack not just on a building, but on the nation itself. And so the church is similar to this because the church is not an embassy and we're not an embassy of material nations, but we are an embassy of the kingdom of God. And this is part of what Jesus is saying to Peter when he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be loose, bound on earth, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed on earth. Okay, Jesus isn't a mayor handing out a big oversized key in some fancy ceremony. If you've seen those before, I always kind of wonder, what is that? When I was little, I was very confused. That key doesn't look like it'll fit anything. What are we doing here? And that's not exactly what Jesus is doing, but what he is doing is he is saying, Peter, I am handing over the authority of the kingdom to the church. Now, it's not in its symbolic language to just say that the church is bearing the authority of God and the authority of his kingdom in the world. You are going to be my representatives as you go out and live your lives. Now, this doesn't mean that we are the kingdom. This doesn't mean Peter's in charge and he gets, he's in charge of all of heaven now and we get to call the shots. Jesus isn't saying, okay, I'm done. I had a good run. Your turn, guys. You make the rules. Whatever you decide, we'll change the rules up in heaven because you decided that. That's not what he's doing here. But what he is doing is saying the church gets to represent God's kingdom. We're allowed to act as an embassy. All right, so two-year-old Calvin loves keys. And whenever I come home, he's usually excited to see me. He'll yell, Dad, Dad. So I get that for a second. It's really nice. And then the next words out of his mouth usually is, keys, please, keys, please. And then he wants my keys, and then he wants my coat. So I'll put my coat on and take my keys, and he'll kind of wander around the house, you know, pretending to go to work. And, you know, giving him the keys right now, really, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a toy to him, something for him to chew on that he probably shouldn't. 
something for him to scratch up all sorts of stuff. He also probably shouldn't. But many years from now, in the way far away future that I don't want to think about at all, I'm sorry, Bree, he will eventually turn 16 sometime. We'll see. And then he's going to ask for keys as well. And when I hand him over the keys then, that's very differently than when I'm handing him over keys right now, isn't it? Because on that day, when I say, okay, Calvin, here is your key to a vehicle, something significant is happening in that moment, right? I'm seeing a lot of head nods, you know, because that's a big responsibility. And in some small way, that's what Jesus is doing here with the church, okay? It's a big responsibility, just how 16-year-olds don't really realize when they get keys what that entails and what that means and the responsibility and authority of driving around a 2,000-pound death machine, it can cause a lot of damage. They don't realize what that is. I think often we don't realize what it means that we've been given the keys to the kingdom either. And part of what this means is that we are, as an embassy, it also means that we are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of God's kingdom. And this is the theme that's repeated throughout the scriptures and throughout the gospels. And Paul repeatedly says that, hey, we are citizens of heaven. It's significant that Paul would say this because he's a citizen of Rome. Not everybody gets to be a citizen of Rome. You've got to be really lucky. You've got to have a lot of money. It's a big honor to be a citizen of Rome. And Paul sometimes uses that when he needs to, but he doesn't talk about being a citizen of Rome. He talks about being a citizen of heaven. Because we are not primarily citizens of the United States or of our country, though we are. It's a good thing. It's worth celebrating and being grateful for. But primarily, we need to think about ourselves as citizens of the kingdom of God that we are really ultimately strange people in a strange land. We're pilgrims passing through. So what does the church do as an embassy? Well, again, we see this in 19. I'll read again. So I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And what does this mean? What this means is that what the church does is we declare to the world what things look like in God's kingdom. We declare to the world what things look like in heaven. And so what we do as Christians, or what we say that we don't do, or another way to say that, what we bind down here, tells the world what is not done in God's kingdom. And so what we, and then what we do do, the way that we live and the way that we preach and what we talk about, declares to the world, this is how things are in God's kingdom. When you get to heaven, when you see it, when God's kingdom comes down to earth, things are going to look like this. So this is what we do. So when the church says and we declare, hey, abortion is wrong and racism is wrong, what we are doing is we declare to the world, hey, all people are made in the image of God from conception. And in God's kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven, people are treated with love and dignity, not because of what they can do or not because of what they can offer, but because God says so and just because of who they are, because God made them. When we give and we care to the poor, when we sing and preach God's word, what we are saying to the world is this is what things look like in heaven. This is how things are done. And what we do and don't do as a church says something to the world. And this is a big part of why the church matters. This is why it's a big deal when pastors fail. This is why it's a big deal when pastors have affairs, when pastors cover up abuse, when they abuse their position. That's why it's a big deal when churches just care about money and influence and getting bigger so they can have more important things and have more power, because that tells to the world what the church is about. Not just what the church is about, that communicates to the world, this is what God's kingdom is about. And so when people see those kind of churches and say to themselves, well, I guess God's kingdom is just about power and money, they're somewhat justified in 
thinking that somewhat. Not re- I mean, they're wrong, but that's because that's what we're communicating. And what a shame that is. But the embassy is also ultimately about declaring to the world who the king is. When Jesus makes his declaration to Peter in 18 and says, to tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. He's talking about the confession that Peter just made in this passage. And when he's saying, he asks the question, hey, so in 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say I am, guys? And the answer, well, you know, 14, hey, some say John the Baptist or Elijah. Others say maybe Jeremiah, one of the prophets. They're like, well, Jesus, you know, they... They think you're pretty cool, you know, but they don't really know what to do with you. They have all sorts of different ideas of what you may or may not be. Jesus turns to them and says, well, what do you say? You guys have been following me, what do you think? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is what the church is built on. We are built on Jesus. We are built on the declaration that Jesus truly was and is God. And if he's God, that means he's the boss. That means he's in charge. That means his word is the final word. That means his word is the authority. That means what he says is what we got to do. And what we also declare, what we also believe, is that the Son of God actually came down to earth. That he actually, this is what we celebrated at Christmas, that he was born, he came down and was incarnate, that big theological word, to just describe the wonder and beauty and incredible truth that God would descend down to us and be born as a child. And why would he do this? Because every human being that has ever been born or that ever will be born is trapped in sin. And we're lost and helpless and dead in our sins. We have all rebelled against the God and the King of the cosmos and the King of the kingdom of God in our sin. And all that we deserve because of that is death and suffering forever. And that's justice. But instead, what does God do? What does He do? He doesn't leave us. He sends His only Son, and God Himself comes down to us. And Jesus was born as a man so He could take the punishment that we deserve, puts it on His own shoulders, and dies in a humiliating way on the cross in brutal agony for hours and hours for us. The kingdom of God that the church represents is a kingdom of grace. It's a kingdom where the most wicked of sinners can find forgiveness. Where the worst people that we can imagine can find the grace of God because Jesus came and died for them too. Jesus didn't come down to die for just the best, the top 1%, the people who have it all together. He came to die for all of us. And in God's kingdom, no one is too far gone. In God's kingdom, redemption is available to anyone who wants us. Who wants it? We don't get it by being awesome. We don't get it by having the best church attendance. We don't get it because we read our Bibles the most. We get it just because of God's incredible and beautiful grace. And that's what we declare to the world. That's what the church should be declaring to the world. That's what we declare to the world. And Jesus didn't just come, right, to bring, to save us, bring us grace, and then leave. He's going to come back again. And when He returns that final time, the earth will finally be remade and He's going to take over and the whole world then will be the kingdom of God in reality. But what can happen is we can get into trouble when we confuse the kingdom of God with the kingdoms of the world. Right? We can start to think that, well, maybe the church isn't just an embassy of the kingdom. Maybe it's not just a representative of the kingdom. Maybe it's not just showing the world what the kingdom will be like. Maybe it actually is the kingdom itself. And this can lead to problems. 
And what can happen is we can start to believe that everything good that happens to our church, right, everything good that happens to TBF or to other churches means it's good news for the kingdom. And then everything bad that happens to us is also then any, it's bad for the kingdom. And it seems okay at first, but if we take a closer look, what that means is then we can start to say, well, if our church is growing, then God's kingdom must be expanding. And if our church is struggling, well, then God's kingdom must really be struggling. What's going on? And then this also can lead to, well, we start viewing other churches, we start to view other embassies of God's kingdom, and not as embassies, but as rival kingdoms. Then it's not about, well, how can we represent Jesus together, but it's about, well, my kingdom needs to be better than your kingdom. Your kingdom's terrible. I don't like your kingdom. I hope your kingdom falls apart. I want my kingdom to be the best kingdom. Right? Duncan has a, a lot of churches. Stephen County has a lot of churches. That's a great thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing, because... Every church, I hope, if they are rooted in the gospel and they are rooted in God's word and they are made up of people who are a part of the kingdom of God, are all embassies and ambassadors of God's kingdom. And Stevens County is a big place. There's a lot of people here. We need a lot of ambassadors. We need a lot of embassies. We need more. And this makes me think of you know, James Mitchell, one of our former pastors. He's getting ready to plant a new church in Marlowe. So a bad mindset could confuse this. It could see it as a threat to the kingdom of TBF. Right? We could see, well, people are leaving our kingdom and they're going to another kingdom. What do we do? And anything that assaults our gathering, this is obviously a threat to the kingdom of God, and this is the worst thing we could ever hear of. But a kingdom mindset would just realize, hey, this is just another embassy for God's kingdom. Isn't it great that there are more ambassadors and more places for God to hear and to see His kingdom represented in the world. And this is part of the trap that the, the church fell into in the Roman Catholic Church, kind of from the beginning. Really, if you go back to Constantine at 321, this is when the church started to go really um, awry because they started to confuse this. They started to think, well, church and state, same thing. Church and God's kingdom, same thing. So now anytime that the Roman Empire is expanding, that means God's kingdom is winning. Roman Empire falls apart, that means God's kingdom must be falling apart. It means, wow, somebody took Israel from us. That means God doesn't have control over the promised land anymore. We have to go fight. We have to do crusades. We have to do things. And even the Reformation, oh, I love the Reformers, right? I wouldn't be Protestant without them, so I'm very grateful for them. I love them. Many of them are my heroes. They also made this mistake too. They fixed a lot of things at the Catholic Church, but they made the same mistake where they started to think, well, our, our own kingdoms, our own places, that's God's kingdom. If their country failed or lost a war, then God's kingdom is under attack. But that's not the right mindset. We need to be reminded of Jesus' words in 18. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell cannot prevent against the kingdom or against God's church. God's kingdom cannot fail. Churches can fail. Churches do fail. Churches and embassies will close. Some of them will close because of their own sin, because of the failure of leaders, because of their hard-heartedness, because they don't care about their communities or reaching more people with the gospel. They may just close because God seems to allow it, because they're on rocky ground and no one responds. But God's kingdom can't fail. And this is good news. This encourages me because this means we're not ultimately really responsible for whether our kingdom or our embassy is successful or not. We do our best. We want to to show Jesus to the world. We want to represent Him well. But it's a freeing thing because we don't have to take over Stevens County as TBF in order for God's kingdom to prevail. We are just one small part 
one small representative of this massive kingdom that is filled with millions and millions of believers. And we do our part, and we just get to hope and pray and bear witness to the kingdom that is going to come. Point number two is that the church is not a building, but it is a gathered people. The church is not a building, but it is a gathered people. Well, what does this mean? Well, the first part of this is repeated so often, right? It's almost cliche. I'm sure many of you have heard it or have probably even said it. Um, but, you know, I, I really don't know very many, many people. I don't know if I know anybody who believes the church is just a building, right? That if nobody's in here, it's still the building. It's still the church, and that's it. But the problem is that we can go awry when we think that the gathering of people at a building or at a physical place together then doesn't actually matter at all. And first, what we need to do, there's a lot to unpack here, but we need to back up and talk about the universal church. And so the universal church is really just another way of saying everybody who's a believer, everybody who affirms the gospel, who has accepted Jesus into their life and acknowledged that He is the Lord and the ruler, or another way of saying it is somebody who is just a member of the kingdom of God or a member of God's family. Now, the existence, right, of the universal church or the kingdom of God doesn't mean that the local church doesn't matter. And the local church is another way of saying, like, Tanglewood Bible Fellowship or Faith or First Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran, any of these other actual churches that exist in the material world and time and space. It's another way, kind of shorthand for local church. Because what the local church does is we reveal the universal, invisible kingdom of God's people to the world. So the universal church is the people of the kingdom, and the local church is the actual assembly and gathering of those people. And so the local church is what is the embassy of the kingdom of God. And in an ideal world, this is kind of part of what church membership or being a part of a church is actually about. A few years ago, when I traveled to Germany, I had to get a passport. And man, that was a lot bigger pain than I thought. There was a lot of forms had to fill out, things that had to be mailed off, lots of bureaucracy and weeks and things involved and take pictures and go here and go back to this place because I didn't do this thing right and then come back. But then eventually, right, I got this passport and I needed it because I wasn't going to get to Germany or worse, get back without that. And what it was, what this thing was, is just this little booklet that was stamped and signed and declared to anyone who asked or anyone who saw it, hey, the United States government acknowledges that I, David Nathaniel Shields, am a citizen of that country. They recognize, so it's declaring to anyone, hey, when you look at this, you can see they say that I am a part of their people. And ideally, this is what being a part of a church is supposed to be. It's not just saying who is or isn't in our club, but it's about stamping our kingdom passport. It's about declaring to our world, the world as a church, hey, to the best of our knowledge, this person is somebody that we believe is a part of the kingdom of God and represents him. And so when we as a people are are gathering together, we are gathering as a people who are declared to the world and saying, hey, we are representatives of the king. And, you know, I, I really think that something important and significant happens when fellow believers gather together. Maybe I'm weird. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that something spiritual and something special and something significant happens anytime God's people come together, and especially when they come together on a Sunday morning to sing praises to Him, to hear His Word read, to pray for each other, to bear each other's burdens, to confess their sins, to recite the creed, to do all of these different things. I think something significant happens. 
And the word for church is actually an interesting word that I think bears this out a little bit. So the Greek word for church is ekklesia, which you've probably heard before, at least at some point, maybe. Um, And what it means is assembly. It just means assembly. And so there's kind of a lot going on there, but it's significant because it's the word that Jesus uses. Okay, and so Jesus picked this word for a particular reason to describe the church. And what it is is the church is, and it's a word that's used over and over throughout the book of Acts to describe the church. It's a word, anytime you see the word church, it's ecclesia. There's not really a bunch of different words for church. There's just lots of different metaphors, lots of different ways to describe it, but this is the primary way the New Testament uses it. And so, no, like, the building isn't the church, but when we assemble, when we gather together, that is the church. And the author of Hebrews, he adds a, an interesting dimension to this. Um, in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, so flip over here. And this is a significant verse to kind of unpack part of this. He says that don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So God's Word is telling us not to neglect the gathering, because the gathering of God's people on Sunday morning as a local church, as an embassy for the kingdom of God, actually matters. It's significant. So no, the building isn't the church, but something happens here, and this isn't something that is just optional for believers to engage in or not. The New Testament doesn't really have a category for a believer who's not a part of an assembly, who's not a part of the church, who's not a part of gathering together with a community of believers regularly. There's not a concept of the Lone Ranger Christian, of somebody who doesn't need the church, who can just read their Bible out in the woods, maybe listen to some of their favorite preachers, read Paul's letters when they get around to it. The author of Hebrews tells us too, you can't ignore and neglect the people of God and still claim to be a part of the people of God. It's like saying, you know, I don't want to be a part of those people who represent God, don't like them, don't like anything they do, don't want anything to do with all of those other people who represent God. I think I will just go and do it on my own completely. It doesn't really work that way. But let's take a closer look. So the word for neglect here, it's translated really to forsake or abandon a lot of the time. Jesus uses it on the cross. It's part of his desperate prayer to God when he's saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Paul uses it to describe Demas, who's forsaken the church, and Paul altogether. He says he's forsaken us, he's neglected us, and he's going out just into the world. He doesn't want anything to do with the church and the gospel anymore. So this doesn't just mean people who are skipping out on a Sunday, but it means it's talking about people who are intentionally turning away from God's people and from the bride of Christ. So that's something that we can't and we should not. Do And the, the author of Hebrews tells us, do not neglect, do not forsake the gathering, the assembly together, as is the habit of some. Which tells us this is something that happens even all the way back in Bible times, isn't it? But we need to talk about some exceptions, don't we, obviously. Because what happens when we don't gather? Okay, COVID has forced us as Tanglewood to not meet. It's forced us to not meet several times. And other churches have pushed back, right? There are many churches all across the country who have gotten angry and have gathered anyway, and a lot of them pull from this verse and say, well, it says not to neglect the gathering, and so we don't want to neglect the gathering, so we have to gather together because they're doing their best. I want to assume the best of people even when I disagree with them. Okay, I want to assume that they are trying to, to be obedient to God's Word. However, there's obvious unique moments in history and in time when 
we can't meet. And the church has done this throughout our history, not the history of Tanglewood Bible Fellowship, I mean the history of the universal church, all the churches since the very beginning at Pentecost. And the Spanish flu 100 years ago, many churches did not meet for months. Months they stopped meeting because sickness was so widespread and they didn't have Zoom. They didn't, couldn't stream anything. They didn't have Facebook. They just stopped meeting altogether and there wasn't any other option. There are other churches and plagues throughout history, throughout Europe, when they stopped meeting. There are times when armies were coming through, and hey, well, there's an army over the hill, so maybe we shouldn't all gather together in a big group and get slaughtered. Seems like a bad idea. Let's all not meet this morning. Okay, so there are times and things when, when that happens. So I don't think that not meeting in these, these kinds of circumstances is violating what author of Hebrews is talking about. And there's other reasons we might not be able to attend, right? If I'm sick, I shouldn't be here, Okay. I was standing up here and said, oh, by the way, guys, I have coronavirus. Don't worry, though. I mean, I don't want to neglect the gathering, so I'm here anyway. I don't, to the best of my knowledge, okay? That would be bad, okay? You would all be upset, rightfully so, okay? So me not being here because I'm sick is not neglecting the gathering of God. If I was throwing up, if I had a fever, I should be home, okay? And there's other things. There are many people who are in nursing homes, there are people who are disabled and are physically not able to attend the gathering of God, even under normal circumstances, even before COVID. And after COVID, there will be people that that is true of. I don't think that they are violating and in sin because they physically cannot come to gather with God's people. And there are others who aren't attending now because they're compromised. They're immunocompromised or they're caring for people who are and are at risk. And so they want to be safe and be wise for them. I don't think that they are in sin or, or wrong either. Those are all legitimate reasons, I think, to the best of my knowledge, it could be wrong to not gather. There are believers who are in prison all across the world, right? There, Paul himself was in prison and was, he was under house arrest for several years. Okay, he couldn't really gather unless they all came to him. I don't think he was in sin because there are times we cannot physically meet. However... There's a number of things here. There's a difference between not attending and not gathering with God's people because of unique circumstances like COVID or because, you know, the Cowboys game is on and I want to make sure I can see that. You see, there's kind of a difference there on things. Or there's a difference in, well, I, don't, I can't gather because, you know, I just saw somebody and there's a lot of people and, I, you know, I could have been exposed. So I just want to play it safe and I want to get anybody else sick, so I'm going to stay home. Or because, you know, I just want to be careful and be wise. That's not the same thing as, well, you know, my kid really, I think he's going to be a big baseball star, so i got to put him in this traveling team. And they only play games on Sundays, but, you know, it's just more important, so we got to do that every Sunday. Those are very different things. There are times when people, and people who do neglect God's gathering because they've decided something else is more important. And that's a difference. That's a big difference from not being able to because of something else. So I don't want you to hear me saying that, you know, everybody who, who isn't here is in sin because they're not gathering. Because I don't know. That's between, it's between them and the Lord. I'm not going to be anybody's judge when I don't necessarily know. There are some who are not here who should not be here. And for them to come would then be a sin, right? But we have to be careful here. Because we're doing things online now as a church, right? We're streaming our service right now. We're recording it because we want to be mindful of all of those in our church body who cannot be here. And we don't want to ask them to be in sin or to put themselves at risk to gather with us. And that's a good thing. But it's not the same thing. 
that being on, on the line, even, even though it's good and I am thankful for it and it is a blessing, is not the same thing as being able to gather. Because this has caused some people to be confused. Some people say, oh, well, church online is the future. Why should we ever go to church? I can just stay at home in my pajamas forever. That's all that I need. Right? You know, I could just go online to an even better church. You know, guy at TF, he's, he's okay, I guess. But there's a lot more people that are way better and maybe even a little shorter I can find somewhere else. So I'm going to go there. I like that more. And I don't have to leave my house. Or, you know, there's places that have apps and just online church. We'll just have a church completely online, and that's it. You never have to come. We don't even have an expectation that you would come because we're just completely online. I don't think that's the same thing, and I don't think that's really a church because the church still eventually needs and has to gather. It has to assemble. can't be the assembly if we're never assembling. All right, I think all of us have done plenty more video calls and conferences these past several months maybe than we ever want to do again. Right, we, especially lots of, of Zoom and FaceTimes and Skypes, and those are all wonderful things. Okay, my family is distant, and I've been apart from my family pretty much since I went to college because I went to school many states away. So most of the time, I'm lucky if I get to see my family twice a year. Most of the time, I see my family one time out of the year. Okay, so it's a, it's a long time to be away from them. So I'm super grateful for it because I can see my sister I can talk to my parents. My parents can see their grandsons and get to know them a little more, more than I was able to being apart from my grandparents. And, you know, it, it's great. And often, like Bree and I, will we'll alternate holidays with our families. And so that means, well, okay, we're with her families this Christmas, so I'll call my parents. I'll FaceTime with my family so I can still see them a little bit, right? And that's good. I'm thankful for it. But what if I just decided, and I told him, you know what, guys, like traveling is just kind of a pain. It's really a hassle with the boys in the car. So I think we're just never, even after COVID's over, we're just never coming to Christmas again. We're just going to FaceTime in. That's just what we're going to do because it's, it's really nice. It's just easy, easier that way. So we're just going to do that. Just put us up on a little stick. Just hold us there, and, and we'll participate that way. It's not real great, is it? I think that would be offended. Like you would be offended if you invited me to dinner and said, you know, kind of a hassle, don't want to put the kids in the car. I'll come to dinner, I'll just make something at my house, just FaceTime me in, set me on your, on your table in a chair somewhere. I think that'll work. Okay, it's a good thing, right, in certain circumstances when we can't do it, but it, you're still missing something. I love getting to talk to my family, but it is not the same. I miss their presence. Something significant happens. We have, we're embodied creatures. We still have to be together physically. And so it, it's a good thing. Don't hear me say, like, we need to stop streaming and stop being online and doing that. I'm not saying that, and I don't, I don't mean this to guilt anybody who is not here who should not be here, but what I am saying is that we need to be careful that we don't diminish the uniqueness and the specialness of what God does when His people gather. And it's a loss that we can't do it as we wish that we could. That doesn't mean that we should fight and do it anyway, but it does mean that I think we should lament it. I think we should agree with Homer's prayer when he's saying, God, get rid of this, kill it, so your people can all gather again. That's what we should do. So I just want us to be, to be careful and to not diminish the beauty and the wonder of what happens when God's people gather together. And, and we long and we pray for the day when that can, everyone can safely return. And our final point is our application that we need to be an ambassador of the kingdom. That we all need to be an ambassador of the kingdom. So since the church is an embassy of the kingdom, we all need to live and act like we are ambassadors and we are representatives of the king. This is explicit in 2 Corinthians 5.20 where Paul says, hey, 
be ambassadors of the kingdom. So, you know, I'm, I'm not really that original coming up with this. But what this is, is just everything that we do as believers, everything that we do as Christians reflects Jesus, and it reflects His kingdom. Whether we like it or not, everything does. Now, I lived in Mexico for a couple months when I was in high school. I was trying to learn Spanish. Um, I, I did pretty good. I wish I would could do it again so I could, you know, do a little better than I did last time. Um, but it was a really great experience. What I found in doing that is, like it or not, which I didn't like it, but I really represented the United States everywhere I went because I was an American. So if I acted like a jerk, people would think, ah, see, Americans, jerks. Okay, people would ask me questions about all sorts of things that I didn't know about because I was just dummy in high school. I don't pay attention to foreign policy. What does that have to do with anything? Ask me my opinion. You're getting mad at me. Why? Because I represented something because I was a citizen of the United States, whether I liked it or not, which I, I really didn't. tried to avoid it, but I couldn't. Like you like it or not, we are all, as Christians, we represent Christ. That's in our name. That's why we're called Christians. That's why at Corinth they started being called that because they were little Christs, saying, you're representing Christ. It's in our names. And Jonathan Lehman tells a great story that I think kind of helps picture part of how this works in a different way. But so he says, you know, imagine just thousands of time machines pop up all over the country. Just lots of time machines pop up and people just walk out of them. Okay, not aliens, look like us, kind of dressed normal. They're not wearing weird space stuff. And they start talking and say, hey, we're all from the future. We're all from the future, and they, and they set up meetings, and they start meeting every week, and they build some buildings, and they start getting involved in the community and helping the poor, and they say, you know, we're not trying to take over anything. We're not here to conquer the United States. You guys can keep, you know, doing what you're doing kind of normally, be good citizens, that's fine. But we just want you to know there's a future coming. There's like a new government that's coming to take over, and we just want to help prepare you for that. In fact, we just want to tell you about the future ruler, the future king, because he's pretty awesome. He's the greatest king that's ever going to live, and we just want you to, to know about that. We want you to change the way you're living. So when he comes, you'll be ready. So when he comes, you're not going to be surprised. I think that's a, a, a decent picture. I mean, there's obviously some stuff missing, but it's helpful to think about what our role is as ambassadors, because we really are, are kind of sent from the future till now. We're chosen as representatives of the future kingdom that is coming. And we're trying to prepare and to preach the gospel so that when he comes, people will be ready. This is part of why it's so important and significant to preach the gospel. So we have to tell people the message of the kingdom. This is why so often Jesus talked about how he was preaching the kingdom. He was saying, look, this is the gospel and the kingdom is coming and you need to be ready for it. You need, people need to know that Jesus came down from earth in order to die to save and deliver them from their sins and that in this kingdom all people are welcome but they have to fall on their face and come and accept Jesus. And we don't just do this when we preach and when we share the gospel. Really, we are ambassadors in how we do every single thing. Every single thing we do as a believer is either as a good ambassador or a bad ambassador for the kingdom. I always think of people who have those little fish things on their car. Especially I notice when they cut me off or when they flip me off or when they do, you know, they drive like a jerk. I think, wow, that's not really representing Jesus well here, right? Okay, well, everything we do as believers is, is as an ambassador, even when no one is watching. How you work, how you do your work, 
how you act on the golf course when nothing's going your way. When you get angry and what you get angry about reveals something about the kingdom. Your marriage, your relationships, your friendships with others, the way you treat other people reveals how Jesus thinks and would treat other people. How you guard them, how, how we paint and create art shows the beauty of God's word or the beauty of God to the world. All of these things, so many more. Every single thing we do as believers, we do as a representative of the kingdom of God. One of the best ways we can do this is really not by being perfect. Okay, I'm not trying to be legalistic and say do everything right always. One of the best ways we can do this is how we respond when we do things wrong. How you respond when you really mess up, when you really don't do what you should do. When people confront you when we sin, when we sin and how we confess. How we, because what we do then is we reveal to people, hey, I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. And what all sinners should do is they should fall on their face before Jesus and beg and ask for forgiveness. And then they should receive his wonderful grace. Another thing that we can do that's been on my mind is because of a number of people in our churches, the way that we face death and loss as believers. And when we do it and we engage it with hope, it reveals to the world the truth of the kingdom. And so the question is, what kind of ambassador for the kingdom are you? What would your neighbor say? What would your coworker say? What would that person who bumped into you at the grocery store say? It may help for you as me, maybe not, so you can throw it away, but thinking of that, the story from Lehman of thinking about yourself as an ambassador sent from the future to represent Jesus' coming kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is a wonderful and beautiful place for those who love King Jesus and believe the gospel. So what we should do as believers is, is I hope that we would show and reveal to the world how wonderful the kingdom is for those who know Jesus. So this morning we've talked about just how the church is really it's an embassy. How we are an embassy and representatives of the kingdom of heaven. And the church isn't a building, but it is a gathered people. When we gather, we represent God's kingdom to the world in a special and unique way. And all of us, when we leave the gathering, when we leave the assembly, we still are ambassadors and representatives of Jesus. And so the question for me and for you and for all of us is, are, are we good ambassadors or are we bad ambassadors? And every day that might be a different answer, but let's strive to be good ambassadors for the wonderful kingdom of beauty and grace that Jesus offers us. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I thank you that you, you are the king. Lord, and I thank you that your kingdom is a place filled with grace. Lord, I thank you that you are a king who came down to die to deliver us. Lord, that no one is too unlovable, that no one is too far gone, that no one is outside of your reach. That in the kingdom of God, all people are welcome. Not because we are so awesome or so incredible, but because your grace is so unlimited. Jesus, I just ask that you would help us to be good ambassadors for you. Lord, would you reveal to us the parts of our lives where maybe we do not represent you well? Lord, would you encourage those of us who do represent you well to do it even more? And Lord, we just ask that in this coming year that Tanglewood Bible Fellowship would be an incredible ambassador for the kingdom of God in every single thing that we do in this room and the things that we do outside of this room. 
Lord, because we love you and we love your kingdom and we cannot wait for you to come again. We just pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we just continue to sing about this great king. an awesome God, don't we? And I'm so glad that we get to be representatives of Him. I read this benediction for you from the end of 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you. Represent our awesome God this week. You're dismissed.